0: Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero-Uravallin, and I want to welcome you all to Futuris Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funcas Europe initiative, and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Will 2022 be the year where the world economy recovers from the pandemic? This is the question pretty much in everyone's mind. After an expansion of 5.5% in 2021, driven mostly by consumer spending, a spike in investment and trading goods above pre-pandemic levels, global output is projected to grow by only 4% in 2022 and 3.5% in 2023. There are a number of concerning factors for policymakers, such as the spread of new variants, persistent labor market and supply chain challenges, rising inflation. Now, can any of these trigger a major crisis? Let me welcome today's contributors. We're joined by Alicia Garcia Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific at Natixis a French multinational financial services firm. And she's also a senior fellow at Bruegel Think Tank. Hello, Alicia, thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: And from Madrid, we are joined by Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe director. Hello, Raymond. welcome back. Hello. So, Alicia, is recovery well-grounded or there are substantial risks ahead that can ruin the whole story?
1: Uh, well, great question. Actually, for some, the recovery is kind of past. It's not that it's not well rounded. It. It's that we've we've actually we've basically exhausted uh, the recovery, or in other words, we've reached the peak uh, of the cycle in two thousand and twenty one, and that's certainly the case of China, but very likely also the case of the U. S. So that's where we are. Um, in a way, it was a short-lived recovery. And we are on a downward trend, uh, I think not yet the case of Europe, but certainly uh, China and very possibly the U.S., as I mentioned. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you agree with that, uh, Raymond? What's your reaction to that?
2: Yes, I think there is a certain heterogeneity this year, uh, whereas last year the recovery happened more or less in the, at least the three major economic blocks U.S., China, Europe. Uh, uh, and also in some of the emerging and developing countries, it's likely to be different uh, this year. First of all, because some of the uh, engines of the recovery, which was the reopening of the economy, uh, have been exhausted in some places, uh, but not in others. Uh, for example, there's still a lot of pent-up demand in in countries where tourism is still uh, is very important. Uh, and, and secondly, because um, the transition to a different uh, macroeconomic policy setting is likely to uh, affect countries differently. And for example, there are major worries. You may have seen uh, a report by the World Bank published, I believe yesterday, uh, where, you know, developing countries, uh, which uh, are very much indebted are facing, uh, especially if they're indebted in dollars, are facing uh, difficult prospects with the increase in interest rates, the prospective increase in interest rates, in the United States. So we're talking about a heterogeneous uh, recovery uh, with overall for the world economy still an expansion at a relatively fast rate.
0: Now, um, there was a lot of talk in 2021 on, on inflation and some were saying that this was something temporary. Now this challenge seems more um, concerning. So Alícia, how do you think central banks should address this issue?
1: Uh, well, this is a, a very, there's such a heated discussion on the nature of inflation, whether it's um, temporary or more permanent. And I am on the camp of uh, temporary inflation. The problem is that if you don't take the right actions um, early enough, um, second round effects are to happen. So in other words, I mean, we just have to think of of um, the old uh, old crisis in the 70s and early 80s to all uh, crises then, which were indeed external shocks, but just that, you know, they were kind of embedded in 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 wage formation. And, and therefore, um, they ended up um, in a stagflation uh, scenario. Uh, but are we there now? I think the situation is quite different across regions. Uh, so my sense is that in the US we do have uh, second-round effects on wages, and this is because of the the, the, the strange is it's not even tight because we have we have had quite uh, poor employment data uh, recently, but it's, it's more strange labor market whereby whereby um, employees may not want to jump uh, on um, employment opportunities, uh, creating the um, uh, wage inflation. I think Europe is slightly different. We don't see uh, such a big um, such a big jump uh, on on wages, and therefore I think the the permanence, if I may say, of inflation might be less than in the U.S. Uh to to this, mm, I should add that the type of uh, supply shock, um, although we do we have had increases in. Commodity prices, but I think what characterizes this uh, new type of supply shock is really uh, the disruptions in the supply chain, and that's um, a phenomenon which, for the time being, could be considered temporary because it's very related to the pandemic and uh, basically China being, um, you know, the center of. Um, of production of the world, uh, whatever China does in terms of uh, zero COVID policies and uh, quarantines on 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 ports or even um, uh, car, uh, air cargo, air freight, uh, has humongous uh, consequences on inflation. So you could argue this is just temporary. The problem is that we are seeing, starting to see, reshuffling of value chains. Towards a more, I mean, a less China centric, uh, model, and that's more temp- more permanent, if not te- permanent, at least more structural, longer term, than just you know quarantines and and the like. So, uh, all of this to say that it's hard to tell for how long inflation will be high on the supply uh, side of things, and um, on the pent up demand, which is the other factor. I, I, I think we'll see a slowdown in inflation in the emerging world, even Latin America, because uh, uh, that, the recovery we saw last year will not be repeated this year. And we're going to have higher rates already happening. Uh, in Asia, demand is going to remain weak because of uh, the approach to COVID and, and uh, the um, um, lockdowns or, or soft lockdowns. So in that regard, uh, I would argue that we'll see less inflation uh, next year, but uh, the key risk on the US, uh, if, if you ask me. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Alicia. So, Raymond, from a European perspective, how concerning is inflation these days?
2: I, I very much agree with the diagnosis which has been given by Alicia but I think I would add one element to the picture which complicates the inflation outlook quite a bit, which is the energy transition, uh, taking into account that on the one hand there is um, an expansion in demand for for energy associated with the, the, the global recovery, even so weaker than last year, there is still a, a global recovery and therefore uh, a rising uh, demand for energy. And on the supply side, um, 4 side sources of energy are constrained, among other things, by our own objectives. The global objective is to reduce uh, carbon emissions, which is, of course, very important and very welcome. But the fact is that uh, other sources of energy, renewals, renewable sources of energy, are not necessarily able to pick up the gap between demand and supply. So there is uh, going to be a constant tension on energy costs this year, at least during the first half of the year, and with possibly some um, relaxation in the second half of the year Uh, and this is going to complicate the inflation picture the way we read it and the way central banks are going to read it because obviously central banks cannot address an energy supply shock directly but they they may face second round effects at least in some countries uh, associated with energy costs even even if Uh, other supply bottlenecks um, uh, weaken uh, and the supply chains get reorganized, still there is going to be an energy push happening throughout the world.
0: Hi, Alicia, is this tension present as well in the debates in Asia-Pacific, this tension between the need to transition, but also uh, keeping in mind the concern of of rising energy prices and what we do with traditional uh, energy sources?
1: Uh, This was very much uh, on the front line of the policy discussions in China in late 2021. It has uh, become less of an issue lately. Uh, But yes, the the, the so-called energy crunch in China uh, did have a bite on manufacturing capacity, especially October less so November and much less so December. So yes, it is. Uh, but I mean, uh, the, the solution in in this part of the world has been to just produce more coal, to be frank. I mean, that that's, that's in a way to, to, without perhaps making it very clear, uh, delaying um, the targets that by the way, uh, um, allow much more room uh, for countries like China than they do for Europe because the, Uh, Picking emissions only comes in 2030. So, you know, basically they they can start thinking about it a bit later than than in our case. Um, But I want to uh, also highlight on the inflation issue because the energy prices from Raymond's um, statement uh, are coming to the forefront more on the inflationary side than on the growth side, while in China, Uh, the same discussion comes more on the growth side than the inflation side. And the reason is that CPI, so consumer price inflation in China remains low. Uh, What is high though is producer prices, partially because of energy prices, but the pass through isn't really happening uh, because demand remains very weak. We had uh, GDP data yesterday for China and it, it is utterly clear with retail sales growing only 1.7%. Just imagine that they were um, between nine to 10 in, in a year that was considered a poor year. In 20. I mean, a very weak year, 2019, uh, it was close to 10. So it just, I mean, it's just very, very weak demand in China. So inflation is not a big issue. Uh, energy prices are an issue because... Uh, well, it's not the prices, by the way, because electricity prices are regulated. It's, it's the lack of electricity. is the rationing of electricity that matters for production, thus for growth.
0: Moving on, I wanted to ask you about employment. Um, the outlook for jobs globally this year has worsened markedly since last spring, as new variants of the COVID virus has slowed growth and restricted hiring. According to a recent report, by the international labor organization so what what are the prospects uh for employment in the in the next in the next few months uh raymond
2: the prospects for for employment uh, are uh still for the continuation of a certain recovery um with uh, some limits in countries where already we are reaching uh, almost full employment so here like uh, uh for example in the united states uh, but uh, overall i believe there 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 is still uh, the, the economic growth is going to have a favorable impact in terms in terms of employment that that said uh, there are some issues that need to be taken into account first of all the uh, type type of jobs i mean there is a there is a very significant shift going on i mean it has i would say it has accelerated with the pandemic a shift uh, in the type of jobs which are demanded demanded in the labor market uh, moving from, uh, uh, for example, you know, physical trade to e- electronic commerce, uh, or from uh, services to goods. I mean, one of the characteristics of the recovery is that it's more intensive in goods than in services, and so this will require uh, quite a bit of a change in uh, in labour market. People, you know, moving from some sectors to other sectors, they want to find new jobs. Uh, another structural characteristic which is emerging. It becoming more much more manifest has to do with the demographic transition it's a bit of a coincidence that we face at the same time an energy transition we just talked about before together with the a technological transition but also a demographic transition uh which is more or less coinciding I and mean, then you have for example in china but at least i know much be- much better but for example in europe now the uh, new gen the the new generations which uh, enter the labor market are less uh, in number you know the vis-a-vis those that retire and even though the labor market is not a zero-sum game still it has uh it produces at least in the very short term uh, so, uh certain tensions and certain um, shortages of labor for particular professions uh to the extent that uh, people do not necessarily have the competences uh, of those uh, of, of where demand is and, and and i predict that there will be more talk about those shortages in certain sectors and for certain professions at the same time as the labor market recovers.
0: So we're, we're living in a time of post-pandemic adaptation when it comes to pretty much everything but also uh, when it comes to labor markets, right Dalicia
1: Yes, um, I mean I want to bring a little bit of the Asian perspective because I do agree with everything Raymond has said and I don't have much to add but um, in the case of Asia, but I, I guess uh, emerging economies as a whole, there's still this big question mark on on the uh, basically the non-official sector. And in the case of China, uh, although we have seen an improvement in employment uh, of only, by the way, half a percentage point, which is very little, to be frank, in 2021, um, there's still this big question mark on, on again, the, the unofficial sector, which is basically migrant workers, uh, many of which work in the construction sector, which is the, the, the hardest hit, actually, for reasons unrelated to COVID, but to a regulatory crackdown of uh, real estate developers in China. So So in a way, that's not too different from the rest of the region in the sense that, we see increasing inequality for the mere fact that uh, workers in the um, uh, informal sectors are being are still being hit um, by the pandemic, um, and they're also more. I mean, hit harder. And every time there is a mobility restriction, as you can imagine, because the, you know there's no such thing as as um, online work for them. Uh, so, so in a, in a way, um, what I think is going to happen is that employment creation is going to be in in sectors that are more productive and uh, less so in sectors that are less productive, um, and that is a big question mark for the world. What are we going to do? You know, in in front of. Uh, of that reality with with, uh, those who, in a way, uh, miss the boat of of employment in in the future. And this, I think, is a reality beyond COVID, as I mentioned.
0: Thank you very much, Alicia. Um, I think we're we're coming to an end. Um, I wanted to thank you both for a great discussion. Uh, Alicia Garcia Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific at Natixis and senior fellow at Bruegel Think Tank. It was uh, great having you on board in the Futures Blue uh, podcast, Alicia.
1: Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks to you and thanks to Raymond for the exchange. Thanks for organizing.
0: Raymond Torres, Funcasional Director. Thank you, Raymond.
2: Thanks so much. And thanks, Alicia, for making time for this conversation and to you, Carlos, as well.
0: Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero ura and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.